many of you this morning. Uh, if you missed last week, we had um, Nikki um, Backer here from the Haldeman Pregnancy Care Center, and uh, she has had such a great, great um, thoughts on how to engage our culture on this difficult topic of, of uh, the sanctity of life and, and this topic of abortion. You, if you've been keeping up on the news this week in the States, they've had a, a, a pretty significant vote uh, that's, uh, that's, that's brought up again, this, this, the hostility around this topic. And, and uh, I encourage you, in a digital age, you don't have to be in that location to, to have an impact in that, in that conversation. And uh, if you're wondering, what do we say and what do we do? And it's not so much the what, but the how. And so last week, it was just, it was just really, really great. And you have a chance, uh, go online, uh, kingswaychurch.ca. You can find that. I think you can find it on Facebook, too. I uh, would give, give that a listen. Uh, and any of our messages you can catch up on. And so if you are here this morning and, and you haven't been here in a little bit, we're actually in the middle of a series called One Another. We just call it 1A, so you can simply, uh, simply remember it. But One Another is uh, just based on Jesus' one command. He gave one command to Jesus' followers. He said, you want to follow me? Here's the thing. I want you to love one another the way I love you. That's not always easy, but it's, uh, it's, it's the one thing that he asked us to do, and it is, it's powerful. When he says in John, John chapter 13, John, who was an eyewitness, an ear witness of, of what Jesus did on the planet, he was sitting at a table with Jesus, and uh, uh, Jesus shared this, this thought with them. And then as they were wandering, uh, walking on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he shared it again. He shared it with them three times, uh, and it was the night that he gave uh, his life on a cross for humanity. He gave them this command. He says in John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. It's not an option. It's not an option. Not for me, not for you if you're a Jesus follower. Not an option. If you're here this morning, you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to do it. It's, not, that's, it's specifically spoken to Jesus followers. But he says, this is a commandment. I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. You should love one another. I don't want you to love one another in the way you feel like it. I want you to love people the way that I loved you. And he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. He says, it's a command to us. It's a response to his love for us. It's not, he's not saying, hey, do this because here's some rules. He's like, I've done this for you, so you can go and do this for others. And it's proof that we're actually following him. We look at our lives and wonder, you know, am I really a Jesus follower? How's my church attendance been? Well, that's not, a, that's not an indicator. You know, have I, do I say that I'm a Christian? That's not an indicator. Do I got the bumper sticker on my car? That's not an indicator. How well do you love the people that he's put around you? Not just, not just the church people. How do you love your enemies? And, uh, you know, we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, the, the New Testament authors, they would write and say, you know, people may not understand exactly what love requires of us. And so they would change the words and say, this is what love is. It, love is, you know, being patient, being kind. Love is forgiving one another. And we looked at that word, one another, and we're going to look at it again today. But a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that thing of forgive one another. Man, that's tough. Because sometimes you look at it and go, you don't know how badly they hurt me. And he's like, you don't know how badly they hurt me. Forgive one another because I've forgiven you. Well, you know, they don't deserve it. And he would say, well, you didn't either. And I forgave you, so forgive one another. Well, I don't feel like it. He'd say, I didn't feel like it either. Forgive one another. You have been forgiven much. Forgive one another. And we find different times in our lives where that is, is easier to do and times when it's more difficult. But that's the proof of being a Jesus follower. And so we would follow what he said, that we would do what he said. And so the early church leaders, the church pastors, you know, James, who was the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem, literally the first church of Jerusalem. And then there was, you know, uh, John, who was a pastor in a place called Ephesus. And Paul, who was, well, he wasn't really a pastor. He was an apostle and started all these little gatherings that they, we call churches. 
they all spoke about these topics. And the one we're going to look at today affects all of us as well. If you have a tongue, it affects you. It took a, you know, back then it took a lot longer for people to travel to places. We have people who've traveled here this morning from Delhi. You know, if you were to do that back then, you probably should have left two days ago to get here on time. We just take it for granted that you can go places quickly. They couldn't do that back then. And so oftentimes they would send letters of their intent to, uh, to other places and say, listen, I'll be there in a few weeks or, you know, Lord willing, maybe a few months, depends on how the wind is blowing the, the sails of the ship. But I, my plan is to come to you. And Paul would write letters to these gatherings of Jesus followers, much like today. There'd be a group of people that would gather together and, and they'd say, is there, any, is there any word? Is there any word? Yeah, Paul sent a letter. And it'd be like, oh, Paul sent a letter. Well, those letters were considered to be so valuable that as they would read through the letter and at the end it would say, hey, once you get to the end of this, could you send this letter on to the next city? Letters were expensive. Like, we take it for granted how cheap it is to use a pen and paper. Back then, it was really expensive to write. And so when they received this letter, he would just send one, and they would, they would at the end, would say, hey, send it on. And they're like, this is so valuable. We're not sending it. We're not just sending it on. Let's copy it first. And they'd make a copy, and then they would send either the original or the copy on, but they'd be identical copies, and the next group would be like, here's a letter from Paul. Send it on. No, we're going to copy it. And so they made thousands of copies simply because it was valuable. And it's one of the reasons why today we can look back and find fragments of all these copies and realize these people weren't making something up. That we have more proof of the, the, the truth of Scripture and that it, was, that it remained intact than any other ancient literature. It's something to, to think about. What we're talking about this morning isn't just fairy tales or just good ideas. It's something that's incredibly true and proven over, proven over time. Uh, one of the things I think we take for granted is the fact that we can actually have God's Word in our hand. Like if you have a Bible this morning or if you have it on your phone, that you can have something, a document that's a couple thousand years old. The words of it are a couple thousand years old. We don't often have that. And most of us, because it's so common, we just take it for granted. And we don't think about people like John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was, uh, lived in the uh, late 1300s. Their cameras weren't that good, so this is the best picture we have of him. But John Wycliffe, um, in the 1300s, he was responsible for, for saying, we don't think that the Pope and the priest should be the only ones who can access Scripture because they can twist it any way they want. We think common people, everyday people, should be able to read Scripture in their own language. And so he fought to make sure that Scripture could be translated into English. They hounded him for it. They chased him all over the country uh, trying to find him. And he ended up dying of a stroke while he was preaching, probably from the stress of all of that. There was a young man named John Huss. John Huss was a person who also followed behind John Wycliffe's uh, teaching. And John Huss was like, yes, they should not only in English, but in every language, they should be allowed to read the truth for themselves. And these were the guys who set it up for Martin Luther to say, hey, listen, the just should live by faith, not by giving penance or by religion. Jesus hated religion. And, and they said, you know what? These, the, the, the people should have it in their own language. John Huss, they caught they put him at a stake, they, they, tie, they, they stripped him, tied his hands behind his back around a stake and placed all kinds of firewood around him and just lit him up, let him burn. And his simple words were, Father, forgive them, as he was breathing his last breath. Why? Because he wanted people to have scripture for themselves. So what you hold in your hand this morning, and what we read on the screen this morning, it's just incredibly valuable. And I think it's so important that we would treat it as such. So this morning, there's one verse I want to focus on. And probably 24 that I want to read to set it up. So just for the context this morning, can you just picture what it would have been like for that letter to arrive? And here's a group of people sitting in Ephesus, a real place, modern day Greece. They're sitting there and all of a sudden one of them's like, we got a letter. 
We got a letter. It came from Paul. The Paul? Yeah, the Paul. And they're busting it open. Let, let's read it together. And as, as they get, would get down to further in the letter, we put numbers in so you could find it quicker. Just go to Ephesians chapter 4. I didn't quite know where to start, how far back to go. But he, this would be closer to the end of his letter. Paul writes this to this group of Jesus followers as they read it for the first time. He says to them, now, there are gifts that Christ gave to his church. And we think church, we think building. That's not what he's saying. To the group of Jesus followers. He gave you guys some gifts. You know what those gifts are? They're the apostles. They're the prophets. They're the evangelists. They're the pastors. And they're the teachers. You know what those gifts are for? He says their responsibility isn't to do all the work of the ministry. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Who's God's people? You, me. He says to equip God's people to do his work, build up the church, the body of Christ. He says this is going to continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Is the church fully unified yet? We have work to do. He says then... You know, then we will no longer be immature like children. We're not going to be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We're not going to be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that are so clever they sound like truth. It won't be just that when somebody says something from the front that people are like, okay, it must be true. You know, that's a pastor. He must know. They'll be like, no, I studied the word for myself, and that is, that is not true. And having the, the guts to stand up and say it. Verse um, says verse 15, instead, he says, instead of being tricked by truth or lies, he says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of this body, the church. Verse 16, he makes, he makes that whole body fit together perfectly. Every part does its own special work, and it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body's healthy and growing and full of love. With the, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as Gentiles do, they're hopelessly confused. You know how they got to that spot and how we could as well? He says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and they've hardened their hearts against him. What I'm about to tell you, he says, is not necessarily more rules, but this being open with a soft heart to him. It's a powerful, life-changing thing. Verse 19, it says, they have no sense of shame. They live for their lustful pleasure. They eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But... But that's not what you learned about Christ. As Jesus followers, that's not what you learned about Christ. He says, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, he says, I want you to start changing. And he, he calls it like clothes. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Verse 23, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy. So you're listening to like, Paul, what are you saying? Paul wanted Jesus' followers to understand something, not just, oh, hey, they read it, and kind of their eyes glaze over. It's like, it's, I, how many verses has that been? It's like, I want you to understand. I'll go through all of this writing so that you understand that you're a body, that you're connected to one another. That's what he's saying today. If you're a Jesus follower here or in any other place around the, the country and the world, you are connected and he says, not that they would just know truth, but that they would speak truth. You'd speak truth one to another, and that they would follow Christ by putting off old things and putting on new things, intentionally living out something different. And then he gets to this verse, Ephesians 4, 25. He says, therefore. Therefore means in light of everything I just told you. 
In light of that, I want you to understand that you're a body. In light of that, I want you to speak truth. In light of the fact that I want you to put off the old and put on the new. Therefore, because of everything you've just read, therefore, put away lying. Put away lying. Don't lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. You know, when you read about that, you know, just look up this, the word lying to one another. Because there's that, that word again, avalon, one another. Don't lie to one another. It's a conscious, you know, telling conscious intentional falsehoods. We don't really use the word falsehood unless you're homeschooled. My kids, I'm like, Finner told a falsehood. I'm like, what? <laughs> but it's an old word, but we understand what lies are. You know, and you think, why, why, why does Paul say, hey, don't, don't, don't lie to one another? Do you realize that the church, the gathering of Jesus followers, was supposed to be a place of great relationships? It really was meant to be. If you haven't experienced great relationships, you really haven't experienced church yet. And we encourage you to keep, keep pressing in to, to um, make great relationships. You know one thing that, it, that, that it, uh, is, uh, breaks great relationships? Lies. Lies are the one thing that break great relationships. You know, we, we talked about it last week, you know, that lies, lies break trust. Last week we talked about trust, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, that forgiveness is something you decide to do, but trust has to be built over time. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you have to trust them immediately in, in the, to the same capacity that you did before, because you may just very well get hurt again. Trust has to be built uh, over time with people. And trust is such an important part of any organization that's supposed to work together as a team. Uh, when it, when you, when, trust is such an important thing. I, I was thinking sports terms, but I thought about, you know, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, on their way to the playoff push, and they had their one goalie, Freddie, that they just worked like a rented mule. And they, the reason they did is they didn't have a backup goalie that they could trust. Every time it was like Garrett the Civ Sparks went in net, you could just watch the rest of the, the team just like, oh, you know, it was almost, almost as bad as this guy. Like, everything's going to go in, just whatever. Just, just kind of give up. And they, and they lost most of the games where he was in. And they said, you know, the news, it's like, they don't trust their backup goalie. Why? Because you require trust. Well, that's this sport. It's not terrible in this sport, but it's way worse in this one if you're involved in the trapeze. Uh, the trust is an important thing. You know, like, and as a church, we say we don't require blind trust. That's not what Jesus is saying. Hey, you know, just take a look around. Take a look around real quick. Would you, would, would you trust these people? Don't be like, yeah, I trust some, but they, He's not saying, hey, just look around and just because they're in a church, you need to trust them with everything. Tell them all your secrets. Trust them with your children. You need to just trust them. That's not the case at all. It's not a blind trust, but it is, it is a, a, tr um, a trust that's built, uh, that builds great relationships, but it's built over time, but it's required. We can have people who spend time in, in, in what they would think is church for all their life and never, never experience the trust that, that he's talking about. And, and they're ineffective as a church as a result. Trust is built over time, but it can be broken in seconds. It can be broken in seconds. As Paul's talking about it, I thought, how many times, how many times has trust been broken simply by a word we spoke? How many times has trust been broken simply by an action that didn't line up with a word we spoke? A promise we made that an action didn't fulfill. You know, Paul's saying, don't, don't lie to one another. Because it, it's, a big, it's a big deal. And not just lying to one another, but lying about one another. All throughout, and not specifically in this verse, but all throughout Scripture, they talk about this idea of not lying to one another or lying about one another. You know, we, we tend to call those rumors because they just sound a little less, you know, less hostile. Rumors. The other day I was in a store and I heard Adele's song going, Rumor has it, 
Rumor has it, rumor has it, like 50 times, right? If you can, I don't, I don't get it. You find three words and sing, have a good voice, it's a hit. Um, but that's stuck in my head, you know, this, this, rumor, this rumor has it. And uh, I, I looked it up later to find out why did Adele write the song? And she, she wrote, she said, you know, people even wrote why they thought I wrote the song. But she said, I wrote this to my friends because my friends after, they were my friends and then I became famous. And then instead of asking me about my life, they just read about it in the tabloids and wherever else. And they just believed all that stuff about me. And she said, none of that was true. But they wouldn't come to me to find out. And so I'll just tell them through a song. Rumor has it. But rumors, that's not a new thing. You know, James in the first church of Jerusalem had problems with people uh, spreading rumors as well. And so he wrote his letter. You can read it. So we call it James. In James chapter 4, he says, "Don't, don't slander one another. Stop speaking ill or evil of one another. He says, don't, don't do it. It's, it's, it's uh, hurtful. Paul wrote to Timothy, and I love this one. I was hesitant to share it. <laughs> Paul wrote to Timothy, you can read it in 1 Timothy 5. He says, he writes, Timothy, you're a young pastor. And he says, I just want to let you know, I've heard that the young women in your church, he says, they just, all they do is go and hang out at each other's houses. And they're, they're busybodies who just talk nonsense with one another. He says, they're saying things they ought not to say. They're a bunch of gossips. He's like, just tell them to get married, have children, and stay at home. Do not take that out of context anywhere. <laughs> Here's Paul's thought. He's saying, hey, this is what, this was happening. And I thought, you know what? It's, it's, uh, you right away want to think, oh, it's those women who are the gossipers. And yet current research would tell us that as they, 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 did, a, they did a study where this one group did a study where they put microphones in a workplace and they just overheard the conversations of people. And they said that what they overheard was that 50-50 for men and women, uh, as far as this thing called gossip goes, there's no difference between the genders. They said it's not even always malicious gossip. It's just stuff to say. It's like, hey, you know, have you heard about so-and-so's marriage? Or, hey, you know, did you hear so-and-so's kid flunked again? And it's like these things that that aren't that... um, you know, or whatever, you know, Jeffrey's dogging it at work. He's probably going to get fired. They, all that they said, everything that they, that they heard, none of it was 100% true. Most of it was actually partially true, but they never had the, the, the whole story. It was never 100% true. And they said, actually, the, the offenders had nothing to do with gender. It had to do with who, was, who the extroverts were. The people who liked to talk a lot, they were the ones who got most, uh, in the most hot water when it came to gossip. And that's nothing new either. And as I read that, I'm like, oh, boy. Solomon wrote about it thousands of years ago, one of the wisest men to ever live. And he wrote these little snippets, these little one-liners that people could remember. And he called it Proverbs, Proverbs uh, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 13. He says this, a gossip betrays confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Proverbs 18, verse 8, he would say, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. He's like, they go down to the inmost parts. It's not like we just hear gossip and it's like, ah, it's in our ear, it's in our mind, whatever. It's like, we're like, oh yeah? Oh, Oh, tell me a little bit more not realizing it goes down into the, to the inner part of us and it affects the way that we relate with people. Proverbs 18, 21, he says, the tongue, tongue is so much power, you don't realize it's got the power of life and death and those who love it will eat of its fruit. It's got the power of life and death. And we don't, we don't always think that our tongues are causing death, but they can. They can, death, not, not necessarily physical, but how many marriages have died because of words that were spoken? You know, how many relationships were broken because of words that were spoken? How many parents and children no longer speak to each other because of words that were spoken? Hitler took the whole world into war with words that were spoken. It's a powerful thing, he said, this, this tongue. You know, one of the greatest discoveries in, in uh, human, uh, human existence has been this thing called fire. 
And what we can do with fire, the other day I sat around a campfire and I was like, man, I'm glad somebody figured out how to put fire in a little clicky thing so we can just instantly have a campfire with the kids, roast hot dogs, sing crazy songs, and, and just enjoy a great time together with family. Fire can do that. You know, fire can cook a meal, fire can heat a house, fire can draw people together. But fire also has the opportunity to do the exact opposite. Fire can burn a meal, fire can burn a house down, and fire can tear families apart, tear relationships apart. And James said, you know what? Your tongue is like that. It's like, it's like fire. It can do two things. It can warm people. It can encourage people. It can bring people together. Or it can do the exact opposite. It can destroy in incredible ways. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says, A gossip betrays confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Well, there's one way to avoid gossip. Just stop hanging out with people who talk a lot. Amen. I guess I won't be seeing any of you anymore. <laughs> you know, we... we we think about it, like, there's got to be other ways, you know? We didn't really need to hear any of these verses to know that gossip is dangerous or that rumors have, have power because most of us have experienced the power of a rumor. I was reminded of a story of a woman who came to her pastor one day, and she said to him, Pastor, I, I have to, I've got to apologize. I, I, I thought something about you. I thought it was true, and, and, and so I told my friend. And uh, then I realized what I had told her wasn't true. And so I went and I told her, I said, you know what? That thing I told you about my pastor, it's, it's really not true. But she said, but I felt guilty. She said, I wanted to come and apologize to you. And so she said, will you forgive me? And he thought, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I'll forgive you. But I, I want you to do something for me first. And she's like, I'll do anything. I, I just feel terrible about it. He said, I want you to go to Walmart. I want you to buy 100 feathers. I want you to take them out to the parking lot and then just put the pe- feathers in the middle of the parking lot and then just come back. And so she's like, that's weird, but okay. She goes, does, gets the feathers, puts them in the parking lot and comes back. And then she's like, so I've done it. She says, will you forgive me? And he says, I just have one more thing. Before we, before we do that, he says, can you just go back to Walmart and just go get those 100 feathers for me? And she went back to the parking lot, and they were all over, and she couldn't find them anymore. And realizing in that moment that her words had traveled as well to places she could never get them back from. There's the times where we can go and apologize, but we can't take back the words or how far that they've traveled. He says, what you don't realize is how, how important it is that we understand and watch what we say and what we speak. And we think, that's just a clever, made-up story. No pastor would do that. But then there's true stories that are just incredibly, um, incredibly powerful to think about, especially in this moment. See, there was a guy named Luke. Luke uh, was a, a travel companion of Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to the Ephesians. And so Luke, Luke was uh, an educated man. He was a, a doctor. He was also a historian. And as he traveled with Paul, he kept his travel journal, and he would write in it, here's what we did, and here's where we went. It was this many days, and then, you know, the ships landed in this spot. And as he was writing in his journal... He wrote in his, in his journal that they had traveled from, a certain, from Ephesus and they were on their way to Jerusalem. They had just arrived in Jerusalem. And he says when they got to Jerusalem, there were some guys who were talking about Paul and they wanted to kill him. And so he says, so Paul, Paul made this agreement with some people to kind of just prove that he was still on their side. He was still for them. And the best way to do that was to show, to show this group of hostile people that he was for them by paying the price of a vow that, seven, uh, the, uh, that these men had taken. And it was a seven-day thing. It was, so, it was this cultural thing of significance that you look and think, that was really confusing. But it meant something to them. And so Paul said, I'm going to go and do this. So that part doesn't matter. But we can actually read Luke's travel journal. It's called Acts. And you can read um, chapter 21, verse 27. It says this, The seven days were almost ended of this, this vow that Paul was helping these, these men with. And it says, Then some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple, and they roused the mob against him. They grabbed Paul, and they yelled, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere. He tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. 
Paul was actually just keeping the Jewish laws by helping these men with this vow. And so they said, no, he's the one who's, who's disobeying. It says he speaks against the temple. And they said this, he even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. Luke had heard those words. And then he writes in this bracket so the reader understands. He says, hey, they didn't maybe have brackets, but he writes, he says, for earlier that day, they had seen Paul in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple. So he's like, they wrote and said, hey, Paul took a Gentile into the temple. That's a no-no. They never saw Paul take it in. They just assumed that he had taken Trophimus in there. Trophimus had never been in the temple, but that didn't matter. They grabbed Paul. They arrested him. But the interesting part of this story is that they arrested Paul that day for, for this, for this uh, rumor. And as they put him on trial for it, they, didn't have an, you know, they couldn't figure out the evidence, and so they sent him to the next level, the higher court. So he spent time in jail up till that point. He gets to the higher court, and he appeals to the Roman court, which takes months to get to. So Paul remained in prison until he gets to Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome, but now he arrives there in prison. And as he, uh, he gets to prison... He's sitting there waiting in prison and he thinks, you know what? I'm going to write a letter while I'm waiting here in prison. And what does he write? He writes these words. Therefore, put away lying. <laughs> you just imagine he's sitting in that prison cell. And I'm here because someone lied about me. I'm here because rumor has it. I'm sitting in a prison cell because of it. He's like, you know what? Ephesian believers, put away lying. Put away lying. Instead, speak the truth with one another, for we are members of one another. You know, rumors, they're, they're like, they don't start big. They start small. They're like little seeds, and they, and they just grow. Gossip starts small, but it, it just grows. And as a church, sometimes I find that we set ourselves up to gossip, and we set other people up to gossip, too. You know, like, hey, I got a prayer request. Hey, would you pray with me? There's this couple that I know going through a really hard time. Oh, how hard of a time? Oh, well, you know, he cheated on her. And, you know, I was like, oh, really? With who? And, you know, it's, it's all of a sudden this prayer time turned into something different. And other times it's like you ask, and I, I had this uh, a while back. I, I asked people, hey, how you doing? Because I, I do care. And as they were explained to me, then I, sometimes I'll just ask, oh, and, and how is so-and-so? How's your relatives? Uh, and there's one day I was asked, talking to this lady and, I asked her how she was doing, and I was like, hey, how's your daughter doing? And she's like, you know what, you should just ask her yourself. And I was like, you're right. I really should, because how many times have we just said, oh, I'll ask somebody, and I'll take, I'll take uh, what they're saying as truth when it's only secondhand, not, not ever realizing. And we were designed to be in this relationships of one-to-one. Proverbs 26, verse 20, Paul said, or the Solomon said it this way, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. He says, this is the way that gossip stops. It's just take away, take away the fuel. Uh, a, couple, a couple of weeks ago, I got a text um, that was obviously a mistaken text. It came to me and said, hey, Kent, or we'll change the name, Sven. Hey, Sven, what happened to the, uh, what happened to the books that were supposed to be delivered to my office? And uh, there, was, there was no response. And then all of a sudden, some, somebody wrote in. I was like, oh, yeah. It's like, well, I'm not, I'm not Sven. And then the, uh, all of a sudden this other response comes in, Sven stole those books. And I was like, oh, I don't know who these people are. I text in, naughty, naughty Sven, right? And uh, I'm like, I'm not, I don't realize what's happening. And then all of a sudden I start getting texts from all these numbers, a whole bunch of other numbers that, that are all responding to the same thing. And somebody says, don't say that about Sven. Sven's a good guy. And I'm like, 
good guys don't steal. And I'll say, you know, then all of a sudden other stuff comes back in and, and, and starts getting heated between these people. I'm like, okay, wait a second. I, where is this even coming from? So I start looking at the list of all the names that this is being sent to, and I recognize one name on the list. I'm like, oh, I, oh, I know that person. And then I realized that, that what had happened, this, this text had been sent as a group text um, way back ago by Sven. He was inviting people to an event, and then one person responded to Sven uh, with this, with this, and it went to the whole group. Well, then the person who sent the original text feels terrible. They're like, Sven, you know, how do I make this stop? And other people are like, yeah, bad Sven, right? And, and he's like, I didn't mean this. And he's like, Sven, Sven kicks in. And he says, hey, you know, this is Sven. This was an accidental text, whatever. It's a group text. I'm like, Sven? I'm like, I know him. And I was like, oh, no. And so I, I talked to him. I was like, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I text him in, individually. And then finally the person who's like, I don't know what to do. How do I make this stop? Finally, someone else says, listen, this is just a group text. If everybody would just stop responding, it will go away. And then shortly after, there was a few more texts, but it petered out. And I thought, oh, man, that was just so fun. I just want to send <laughs> a text. That's how it happens in a digital way of watching it. But... That's exactly how it happens with us when it comes to other things. And the thing is simply saying, just, just go, to original, go, to the, go to the source. Go to the person. Don't allow it. Even if you hear it, don't allow it to affect uh, or to continue on. Um, Paul says to them, oh, actually, just here's a thought. I, was, uh, I went on a blog by a guy named Ray Pritchard, and he said, there's an easy way to cure gossip, but it takes tremendous discipline. Keep your mouth shut. It works every time. I was like, yes. That might work for other people, but what can I do? And here's what I re- realized as I read Ephesians 4. Paul wrote to them, saying, put away lying, stop lying to one another. But not just that. Instead, he says, speak truth. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. He says, you know, you can focus on not lying and all that stuff, but he says it's better off just to speak truth with one another. Those two things can't happen at the same time. And he says, you know, speak, speak truth. And we realized earlier, when I read further back, he said, speak truth, but speak truth in love. Speak truth in love, because he said this idea of a body being connected together requires love. And when it requires speaking truth, I, I find that, uh, that often this idea of speaking truth, we, we get it wrong on both sides. We end up in both ditches so often. I saw this picture of two vehicles, and I was like, you know what? This is sometimes like, like how it works with Canadian Christians. Because we've got some who are like, yeah, I speak the truth. I, you know what, I know when I'm right and they're wrong, and I'll just tell them. You know, I, I, I tell it like it is. It doesn't matter. They need to hear it. It's where we get our, our, our soapbox preachers who are like, the world's going to hell. They need to hear it. You know, they're sinners. They need to hear it. And yet it never comes across in, in, a, in a healthy way. You know, for some, they're like, well, that's the truth. And if they can't handle it, well, I guess they can't handle the truth. I speak the truth. And yeah, there's speaking the truth. And then there's the other ditch where we have the Canadian Christian who is just so kind. They don't want to step on anyone's toes, so they never say anything, you know, as far as that, that may uh, um, hurt, someone, uh, hurt someone's feelings or, or make someone feel a little bit awkward or whatever. And, and neither of those contribute to a healthy, life-giving gathering of Jesus followers. When he says, speak the truth, let everyone speak the truth, speaking the truth in love is speaking truth for the benefit of another person. It's like thinking in your head, do I care enough about this person to actually speak truth into their life? Because if I don't care about them, then there's no need to speak the truth into their life because you won't do it in love. 
But if you realize, well, man, no, I care way too much about this person to let them keep going in that direction without saying something. It's where Paul would say, it breaks my heart that you've got people in your church who are living a lifestyle that it's immoral. He's like, I care way too much about those people to not tell you the truth. You know, we, we would do it with our kids. We love our kids enough to say, hey, don't, don't, don't cross the road, you know, at, at five o'clock when everybody's leaving, you know, Stelco. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, you see, you see things happening in lives of people we care about. We're, we're so quick to say it. But he says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And he's, you know, if we say, Paul, why is it so important? He answers it in that same verse. He says, therefore, stop lying to one another. Let each of you speak truth, and then with that brackets, in love with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul's saying, listen, the reason why it's so important that, that we do this is you're connected to each other. Don't you realize you're connected to each other? If this morning I said, can I get a volunteer to come up here? I have a hammer and you have a thumb. I would like you to hit your own thumb with a hammer. How many of you would be like, yes, sign me up? How about a sledgehammer? No. No, obviously, none of us would intentionally go and say, yeah, I'm going to hit my hand with a, uh, you know, hit my thumb with a hammer. Have you ever done it? How many of you realize when you hit your thumb with a hammer, your thumb isn't the only part of you to react? I watched, uh, I watched Henry Cook, I shared that a while back. He came to, came to my house and he, he put a, a drywall screw right through his thumb. Actually, it was this finger, right from through, through the drywall, through the metal, through his finger and through his nail. And I watched all of Henry react as he ended up in like a little fetal position on my floor. Why? Because that, that's what happens. And, and, and we would say, I would never do anything to hurt me. And Paul's saying, this is what I'm saying. When you lie, when you, don't, when you don't speak truth to one another, when you don't speak truth about one another, he says, you're affecting the whole body, not just the body of Christ, your body. Not just the church, your church. Not just the team, your team. You're affecting you. As he writes it from that prison, you know, it's this thing, don't lie to one another and speak truth. Because sometimes those truths are needed to protect one another. Proverbs 27, Solomon writes that the wounds, um, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The kisses of an enemy, they're deceitful. The people who say just nice things about you but don't really care about you, those are deceitful. They, they, they bump you up as if you're something. But it takes a real friend sometimes to step into your life and say, listen, the way you're talking to your wife, you know, I know I'm risking our friendship by saying this, but I feel like if you, if you don't realize it, you're not going to be together, you know, in a year from now. You know, or the way you're treating your kids, buddy, you're just, you're pushing them away. I, I know I shouldn't, but I care too much about you. You know, as your friend, I, I, watch, I watch your spending you know, I know you keep talking about how much, you know, you don't have any money. Can we just get rid of Amazon together? Like, I care too much about you to watch you keep walking down that path. Those are the friendships. And some of you have just cut those friends off in your life when you really should have kept them. Because some of them were the ones who actually cared enough about you to say things that mattered for you. It goes both ways. You know, say, yeah, it may hurt to hear it, but I know it's for my good. So I would want them to tell me the truth rather than the, than the opposite. Paul finishes off by saying this. He mentions the tongue multiple times. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And let everything you say, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know, this is whether that's spoken, whether it's written, 
this week uh, we had we had some people responding to one of our email or one of our um, messages uh, Chris had put online, and some of these people responded a little bit hostile. And I just watched as he wrote in these kind words back to them. And last last night I got a personal apology. They thought it was me. I'm like I'm not that good with my words. You know I'll pass that on to you. You know that, that this it's how you respond to people can change situations, but it's a choice. We can choose in every moment whether we're going to be like the campfire or the forest fire. You know how I know that we can choose? Because we'll do it in, situ- in, in other situations all the time. Um, this week, we got a dog. This is Reba. She has my eyes. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't name Reba, and uh, I wasn't looking for a dog. This dog just happened to find us, and it was like the terrible timing, but perfect dog. And we're like, you know what? We just have to find a way to make this work. And so we took her home, and uh, she, she arrived at our house. And, you know, the first day, this dog was just amazing. We were just telling everybody, this is like the perfect dog. Like, it doesn't bark. It do, it's not needy. It's, it's, just, it's just awesome. And then the second night, in the garage, all we hear is, oh, 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 oh. I was like, I'm sitting in the living room. I'm like, I'm tired. Of course, it's going to happen on a weekend. You know, I look across. I'm like, ah. Oh. And my daughter's like, are we going to have to get rid of the dog? I'm like, yes. And she's like, her eyes go bigger. I'm like, no, we don't have to get, she can just sleep in the barn across the road, right? And, and, and Beth looks at me, she's like, hon, you're upsetting our child. And I was like, oh yeah, you know what, no, we can keep the dog. And yes, it can, it can sleep in the garage if it sleeps. And we text all of our dog, you know, our dog experts, like, hey, what do you do? And they're like, well, it won't bark forever. I'm like, yeah, but forever's a long time, right? Like, how long will this bark? I was like, you know what? It is what it is. And she quieted down and all was good. And, and, and so then, you know, I thought, you know, I'm not really a dog person. Well, the next day, um, we had Reba, and, and, and I come out to the garage. I'm like, it's, it's pretty quiet out there. I'll just check in on her. I look out there, and she did her business, number one and two, on my brand-new garage floor. And I was reminded of back in the day where, like, when that would happen back when I was a kid, they'd take the dog, and they'd put the nose in it, and like, oh, you dirty, bad dog, you know? And you don't do that again, and lock her in her kennel or something. So she learns her lesson. As I thought, I'm like, you know what? I want this dog to like me. So I grabbed the shovel. I, I cleaned up her mess. I didn't make her clean it up. I cleaned it up for her. <laughs> then I took her for a walk, and I was like, Reba, I'm sorry. You know, like, I, I should have took you for a walk out to where our little patch of grass so you would have had a chance to go before. And then I took her back, and I was like, I gave her a treat. I was like, good dog. She didn't know it was, it was long after. She just knew good dog for going on a walk with me. And I was like, how is it possible that, you know, when, when this dog does this mess that, that that would be my response, because it's choice. And yet when sometimes when people happen to, to make a mess, it's like we think we got to like make them feel bad about it and do all these other things and not treat them in that same way. And I realized if I would do that for a dog, which is not an eternal being, for some that think they all go to heaven, how? just wanted to make sure no one missed this point. How much more should we treat people who are made in the image of God, our brothers and sisters? How much more important is it that we would speak to one another in a way that's life-building? And Man, I get this wrong a lot, and I was just so challenged by that thought. If I'm willing to choose to do it for a dog, how much more for my children? How much more for my wife? How much more for the people that annoy me? How much more for the, for the people that I've had difficulty with? Here it is. You know, Paul says... Ephesians 4.32, he finishes and said, you know what, instead, instead of doing, you know, treating, speaking in other ways, be kind to each other. 
Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive one another. It's in there over and over and over again. This is the way and why. Because God, through Christ, has forgiven you. We, we learn all this is in, that, in that, same, that same spot. So I have two final things for two groups of people this morning. If you're here this morning, you struggle with gossip. As you've listened to this thing, things came to mind, conversations, people's faces or whatever. Uh, Ray Pritchard in his blog said this. He says, when I struggle with gossip or I struggle with things that come to me, I think, hey, I, need, I feel like I need to say this or whatever. He says, I ask myself three questions. I ask these questions. Is it true? Is it 100% true? Do I know it's true? Do I need to go with that person? Is it true? Is it kind? If I'm what I'm about to say, it may be true, but is it kind? And he said, and the last one is, is it necessary? Is it even necessary? Because sometimes it's true, but it's not kind. Sometimes it's true, it's kind, but it's really not necessary. And sometimes it's all three, and then, you know, in love, you speak truth, because it's, it's part of being this, this body that protects one another. And so in closing... To those, you know, we speak to the Jesus followers today. That's the command to us. I know it's difficult. I know it's one of those things It's not going to be perfect or whatever. And we allow the Holy Spirit to do it. It's not the idea that we're trying to change our behavior. The way it happens is by growing to know him more and more from the inside. The words come from our hearts. It's allowing that part to be changed by him. But to be aware of what's coming out of our lips and to intentionally speak life when we can. But to those of you who are not Jesus followers, you know, Paul encourage people to speak truth to one another, not just the hard truths, but the truth. And the reason we gathered here this morning is not just so we have something to do on a Sunday morning. There was a lot of other things people could have done. We gathered here this morning because there's truth in this place. There is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, we'd be amiss if we didn't, if we didn't let you know this, that there are some things that are true. They are true. The truth is there really is a God. That's truth. And you know, he's like, well, I'm not sure if there's a God. Just take a look at creation. All of our best scientists can't even make a piece of grass, let alone everything else you see. There's a creator. Whoever you want to believe that he is, there is a creator. There, the truth is there is a creator. That God, the truth is that that God, that creator, God cares about you. How do we know that? The proof is that he sent his son to this planet to say, I don't want people just kind of guessing about who God is. I want them to see who God is. And he sent, he sent Jesus to this planet to prove that. You know, the, that, those things are true. The hard truth, the hard truths is, are these, that every one of us was born broken. We were born broken, and when we had opportunities, we chose brokenness. It's this thing called sin. You know, we, we don't like to use sin. We always want to dumb things down to like, ah, mistakes or whatever. But if we're honest, <laughs> there's something in us that wants to lie if it'll benefit us. There's something in us that wants to cheat if it will benefit us. Or that there's something in, inside of us that will do things that make it better for us. There's a brokenness there. And that hard truth is that sin, it can, keeps breaking. It breaks relationships with people. It breaks our relationship with God. Sin is this thing that is, has broken what was meant, to be, was meant to be perfect. It put us at odds with God, and there's nothing that we can do to fix it. That's a hard truth. The hard truth is that someday we'll stand before God and have to give account of our decisions. That's a hard truth. What will I say when he says, hey, why did you make that decision? And why did you make that decision? And what are you going to do to make up for this, the wrongs that you committed? Those are hard truths. But you know what? There's an amazing truth as well. The amazing truth is that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still helpless, God sent his son to this planet for you and for me. That's why Jesus came. 
He came because, he, because God loves you. He came because he knew we couldn't save ourselves, and so he took my sin, and he took your sin on himself on a cross. He paid the whole thing. He said, you know what? That's what's keeping us apart. Let me pay the whole debt. And, and as a result, let me invite you into a relationship with him. Let me invite you into a relationship again with God. He, Paul would say, I tell people, come back to God because he made a way. It's just one way. Oh, God, I want to do it myself. I want to try and be a better person, and hopefully you'll like me. He said, that's not the way. Oh, God, I just want to believe in something. That's not the way. He says, the way comes back to this whole thing of trust because relationships are built on trust. Would you trust that what I did for you is enough? Would you simply put your trust of your life and your eternity on the fact that Jesus died for you and that I love you and that I've opened relationship with you? If you'll do that, and that's not a prayer. That's not something you say, oh, you know, Jesus, I invite you into my heart, and oh, now I'm a Christian. That's a daily walking out of I simply trust that what Jesus did for me is more than enough and that I can walk in relationship with him each and every day. God, trusting that you've forgiven me, trusting that my eternity is in your hands. If that pricks in your heart this morning, I would encourage you to talk to somebody or just simply talk to him and say, God, I don't know all the words, but I put my trust in you this morning and help me to walk each and every step of the way from here on out. Join a community, a community of Jesus followers who are going to do that with you and grow on a journey of what it means to really follow Jesus. If you have questions about it, come talk to me after. I'd love to chat with you. But uh, let's close together. Father, thank you for, for your word. I mean that. Thank you that it's been preserved for us, that we can read it in our own language and that it hasn't lost any of its power. It still just reveals in us what's wrong and shows us what to do what's right and Holy Spirit that you live in us and give us the, the power to live free, to live differently. Oh, what a gift. What a gift. God, this morning, we've heard your words and we just pray that they would be like seeds in us. They would grow, that things that would try and, try and tear them out would uh, be unsuccessful, but that these would bear fruit in our lives. That we would be a community. We would be a people that speaks truth to one another, that hears lies and drops them dead in the moment. That our community would be a place of trust and love, that people would look and say, wow, they must be, they must be someone different. There, there's something about them. God, and through that, may they see you. Pray that they would see you. It's in your name. Amen.